You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the RAND Corporation. I'm Deanna Lee. And I'm Evan Banks. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from RAND's latest research and commentary. It's March 22nd. The suspect charged with killing 50 worshippers last week at two New Zealand mosques posted a 74-page white nationalist screed shortly before live-streaming the carnage. This horrific incident is the latest reminder that terrorism can be incited, spread, and sometimes organized and concealed by Internet activity. Who should be held accountable for abusive online content? The author or the publisher? And what role, if any, should the government play in regulating this activity? Individuals certainly bear responsibility for any content they produce, says Rand's James Dobbins, but freedom of speech does not carry with it a freedom to be published, he says. Quote, Facebook is no more obliged to accept a posting than the New York Times is to print a submitted article, and so it is the social media companies themselves that bear the social responsibility for their content. It's possible that the social media giants could rise to this challenge of their own volition, he says, but it's more likely that companies will be nudged in this direction by individuals through their choices as both voters and consumers, and by businesses through their choices as advertisers. Yesterday, the European Union agreed to push back the Brexit deadline until May 22nd, but only if the British Parliament accepts Prime Minister Theresa May's deal. If May is unable to persuade British lawmakers to accept her deal, then the new deadline will be April 12th, exactly three weeks from today. Notably, Parliament has already rejected May's Brexit plan twice, so it appears there's a real possibility that the UK could crash out of the EU without a deal. Rand research shows that this would be costly. Without a deal, Britain would be left to operate under World Trade Organization rules, leading to an estimated $140 billion in lost income over 10 years, reducing the country's GDP by nearly 5%. But RAND experts say a no-deal Brexit doesn't have to spell economic doom for the UK. There are steps that could be taken to improve the country's prospects after Brexit. For example, the government could undergo efforts to make conducting business in the UK more attractive. This could include improving the regulatory environment as well as the skills of the British workforce. And beyond internal reforms, the UK's current effort to negotiate free trade agreements could be the right move. Although not a substitute for EU membership, a free trade deal between Britain and the US, for instance, would provide economic advantages. In any case, it's incumbent on the UK government to take the likelihood of a no-deal Brexit seriously, and then to position the UK to succeed. Relations between China and Israel have been expanding in several areas since the early 2000s. According to a new RAND report, this budding relationship provides both countries with important opportunities. For example, China seeks to acquire advanced technology from Israel and would like to learn from Israel's success in innovation. And Israel is looking to expand its diplomatic and economic ties with China, the world's fastest-growing major economy. But growing ties between China and Israel could pose challenges. For example, Israel relies on the U.S. for security, economic ties, and geopolitical assistance, while the U.S.-China relationship has grown more and more tense. Washington is particularly concerned about transfers of U.S. technology to China and about any technologies that could give Beijing a military edge. Also, Israel has relied on its tech sector for economic growth, 
but China has a history of stealing technology and not respecting intellectual property. The report provides recommendations for how Israel can strengthen its policy approach. It should start by gaining a better understanding of the opportunities and challenges that could result from deeper ties with China. Under the Trump administration's rumored Cost Plus 50 plan, countries that host U.S. forces would theoretically subsidize the cost of the U.S. military presence there and pay an extra 50 percent of that amount. In a new commentary for the Washington Post, Rand Stacy Pettyjohn draws on her research to explain why this type of transactional foreign policy is risky. A cost plus 50 approach could damage America's long-standing relationships with its partners and allies, causing them to rethink their agreements to host U.S. forces. And if the U.S. is unable to use foreign bases in times of crisis, then the military's ability to operate globally would be limited. In other words, cost plus 50 risks turning partnerships that are enduring into partnerships that are transactional, says Pettyjohn. That would likely have serious national security implications. A cost plus 50 approach might also lead the U.S. to support countries that are willing to pay for protection, rather than those whose partnership really benefits U.S. national security. Drug overdose deaths in America are mounting, and now some U.S. cities are trying to create designated spaces where people who use heroin and other drugs can be supervised by medical professionals. More than ten countries allow these supervised consumption sites, also known as safe injection sites. The U.S. is not one of those countries. So, how will federal policymakers respond to what these cities are trying to do? According to Rand experts, they have several options. At one extreme, federal law could be changed to explicitly exempt supervised consumption sites from a statute that prohibits locations that allow drug consumption. At the other end of the spectrum, the Drug Enforcement Administration and federal prosecutors could take swift action against staff and property owners if they open a supervised consumption site. A third approach would be for federal agencies to ignore any supervised consumption sites that are in operation. But there is a fourth option, one that hasn't received much attention. In keeping with how the federal government has responded to states that have legalized marijuana, the Department of Justice could use its discretion to shape how supervised consumption sites operate and where they're located. This spectrum of options shows that federal policymakers don't have to choose between a crackdown on supervised consumption sites or changing federal law. There are middle ground alternatives to consider. Rand is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision making through research and analysis. For more on what we covered this week, check the show notes at rand.org/podcast. See you next week.